Leadership is a, an interesting subject. <clears throat> My Russian friends are not familiar with the term leadership in their vocabulary. They think of it as being an active thing, a verb sort of thing instead of a noun. And I think maybe they've got something there. I think I've shared with you before, um, I teach a course in leadership did at the seminary before I retired, and the last few years I kind of reduced it down to 16 words, and I've shared that. As a matter of fact, I preached a whole series, sermon series, about four or five years ago on it, you may remember. But it goes something like this. First of all, we need to do the two words before we do anything else, and that is trust God. I used to begin with dream big. But all the dreams in the world matter not if we don't first trust God. So trust God and then dream big and then be sure, and that's code word for pray. Pray to make sure that the plans that you make are God's plans and the things that you're doing are what God wants you to do. So be sure and then plan well. So those are the first eight words. And then you get to the second half, and that's where we really get to work. Work hard, hard work. Stay focused. Finish strong. And then guess what? Start over. You start it all over again. Right in the middle of that, the two words, work hard, I was teaching this one day, and one of my students said, well, Dr. Spivey, don't you mean work smart? And I know what he was saying, and I don't disagree with that. You know, we have all kinds of training in time management and that sort of thing to work efficiently and to work smart. And, but I believe this, there is never any substitute for hard work. You can work smart, efficiently, but if you don't work hard, now, work doesn't have to be hard, but we ought to work hard at it. And that has something to do with the um, special that the choir sang today. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. The disciples were exhausted. They were tired when Jesus said that. They worked hard. Mahatma Gandhi rose at 4 o'clock in the morning every day for 30 years and worked 17 hours a day. So 4 and 17 is 21, 2100. 9 o'clock at night, he finally retired. He worked over 120 hours a week, did this for 30 years. And he wrote incessantly. He wrote letters and articles and books. The writings of Mahatma Gandhi would, will and have filled 98 encyclopedia-sized books. He worked hard. He walked five kilometers a day. At age 61, he walked to the coast to challenge the British, and that walk was 400 kilometers long, 61. During his lifetime in his struggle for liberty for India, he walked over 50,000 miles. That's almost twice around the world. He worked hard. Thomas Edison napped during the day so that he wouldn't have to sleep. He worked incessantly. 
The result of that was, of course, that he secured many, many, over 2,000 patents, 2,332 patents. He worked hard. And Elon Musk's work ethic is legendary among his peers today. He works 80 to 100 hours a week. And he divides his time, and he works smart, too. He, work, he divides his day into five-minute segments, and he makes every second count. Steve Jobs, when he was the CEO of both Pixar and of Apple, he worked about 100 hours a week in managing those two corporations. CEO of General Electric, Jeffrey Imlet. Before he moved into that position for 25 years, he worked over 100 hours a week. The current CEO of Yahoo, Marissa Meyer. Before she came to Yahoo, she worked 130 hours a week at Google. Now, what I'm not suggesting here is that we be workaholics, that we work 120 and 130 hours a week. But there's really no substitute for hard work if we're going to achieve our objectives. You know, the Bible says something about this. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, in all labor, there is profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. The desire of the lazy person puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. And you know what Paul told the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. Remember, there were those that were waiting for the Lord to come, and they, he was going to come at any moment, and they had stopped working, and they were living, and they were mooching off of everyone else. And you remember what he said, if anyone is not willing to work, he should not what? He shouldn't eat either. To those who were undisciplined and who were not working, then Paul went on to say, we command, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work, to work in a quiet fashion and eat your own bread. But as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And of course, Galatians picks up on that theme of doing good, working for the good. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. Weariness. The passage this morning is the passage that is the basis for the choir special. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Come to me. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me. For you see, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the background of this is in Matthew, the 11th chapter. Even though Matthew does not tell us explicitly that the disciples have returned and given a report, we know from Matthew earlier and Matthew 10 that he has sent them out to the villages and towns. And he's warned them, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard work. You're going to face resistance. You're going to face opposition. You need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You're going to go out there and the world is worldly. You're going to encounter things that are going to frustrate you, people not treating each other the way they should, and they will not listen to you. In Mark's gospel, in Luke's gospel, we know that by now what has happened, they have returned. It's just before the feeding of the 5,000. 
and they have returned and they have given a good report of all the things that they have done and taught. You know that he sent them out to do what? To heal and to cast out demons. And they have done that. And even though Matthew does not give us that explicit report, we know that's happened because when you read a little bit later in the passage in the 11th chapter of Matthew, he says, Woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. If Tyre and Sidon had, heard, had seen the miracles that you have seen, they would have repented. Woe is to, is to you, Capernaum. For if Sodom had seen the miracles, it would still exist today. So we know that what has happened is they've come back and they've given the report to Jesus and they have encountered opposition and resistance. Um, and so, uh, about this time too, John's disciples, at the beginning of the 11th chapter, John's disciples, he is in, he is in prison, he is in jail by Herod, and he has sent his disciples to ask, is he the expected one? And this had to have been somewhat discouraging to the disciples, I think, to have heard this from John's own disciples. And Jesus uses this as the opportunity, we remember, to commend John and also then to rebuke those that have resisted him, saying, you're like children who, who pipe in the marketplace. You pipe for other children, and when they don't dance, then you ridicule them. And John came fasting and not eating, and you said that he was filled with a demon. And yet the Son of Man comes, and he eats and he drinks, and you call him a glutton and a drunkard because he eats with sinners and tax collectors. So this is the background for the passage today. The disciples, when we look at their physical and mental state, I, ex I imagine they were, on one hand, rather excited. They, they've gone out to these villages and towns, and they've performed miracles. They have healed as Jesus has healed. They've cast out demons, and that's good. Perhaps they're even a little bit full of themselves for having done that. I'm not sure. But they're also exhausted. This has been hard work. They've worked hard in the villages and the towns. And Jesus looks at them then and he says, I'll tell you what, we need a rest. We need a break. Come with me to a quiet place, to a desolate place, and come rest with me. And we know what happened. The crowds followed them. And they even got to the other side of the, the lake there before they did. And that is the scene then for Jesus feeding the 5,000, about which we're going to be speaking tonight in the evening service. I should imagine that they're not only exhausted, but they're probably discouraged. Discouraged because they have encountered the kind of resistance and opposition that Jesus had said that they would in Matthew, the 10th chapter. And you know, sometimes when that happens, we become resentful. When we're trying to do good, when we're trying to do God's work, and people rebuke or resist and oppose us and don't appreciate what we're doing, or sometimes even when we are doing ministry amongst our own that are Christ's followers, and they don't appreciate what we're doing, sometimes we then become resentful. I think maybe they've become a little bit jaded when they've seen the world for what it really is, as Jesus predicted in Matthew, the 10th chapter and certainly disconcerted by the message from John's disciples. What we do know is a little bit later, this account is in Mark, the sixth chapter, Matthew, the 11th chapter. 
Three chapters later in the Mark, the ninth chapter, after the transfiguration of Jesus, then they come down from the mountain, and what happens? Those who have healed and exercised demons cannot exercise, cannot cast the demon out of the demon-possessed boy. So I think that they're probably a little bit frustrated, discouraged, and exhausted. And Jesus says, you know what? It's time for break. It's time to take a rest. Let's read that passage again. Come to me, all of ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a reading of the text which is probably misleading. Some who read this text might read it somewhat like this. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you're burdened with work and the problems of life, come to me. Come and attach yourself to me, and I will then take on your burden so that you can rest. You see, I will gently and I will humbly teach you how together, you see, we can lighten your workload. Because my expectations aren't that great. My expectations are manageable. And you see, my load is light. I do not think that that is what that passage means. I do not think that what Jesus is saying to us is come to him and he'll make everything easy for us. Jesus never dismisses the need for hard work. And gospel work is not easy. The gospel ministry is not easy. It's not without challenges. So Jesus isn't saying if we come to him, he's going to smooth out the road and everything's going to be just copacetic and fine and we're not going to encounter any problems and he's going to take the load off of us. That is not what he's saying. When you look at this text, it could be outlined something like this. There's a problem. There's a problem. Sometimes we do, friends. We become tired. We become discouraged. We become burdened. You listened to Ken's pastoral prayer this morning. The tribulations of life get us down. You see, the real problem is not work. The real problem is not hard work. The real problem is how we approach the work that God gives us. We tend to do this. We treat work as something that we must strive to do and be driven to do and to work 130 hours a week or 120 hours a week in order that we might what? We might succeed. It's a vehicle for success. Sometimes it leads us to become very proud of our accomplishments and arrogant and self-focused. And this could have happened to the disciples. I think there's a reason in Mark, the ninth chapter, why they could not exercise the demon-possessed boy. We know the Bible tells us the reason was lack of faith. But I think also, too, it kind of put the disciples in their place for a moment. You know? Hmm. Don't be proud of what you've done. For it is not you who have done it. It is God who has I think another problem with work for us, hard work, is that we tend to measure our self-worth in terms of the personal success that comes out of work. So there's the problem. It's not that we are called to work. It's how we approach work. And then Jesus gives us a solution. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And how do you do this? When you come to me and I'll give you rest, take on my yoke. Now in that, there's some implicit results. They're not listed in this passage, but I think it's pretty obvious. When we take on Jesus' yoke, when we yoke ourselves and attach ourselves to him, obviously then, we are given more power. 
We're given more stamina. That's an implicit result. When we're walking with Jesus, then he keeps us on the right path. He gives us proper direction and guidance, and, and that's good. When we yoke ourselves with Jesus, it is a shared balance between us and the Lord. And yes, in a sense, our load does become lighter in that respect. And another implicit result from this is there's a close fellowship with God and the Son of God, the Son of Man. Those are implicit. But you see, that's not the explicit lesson that is given here. What's the explicit lesson? What's the real goal? What's the real goal for yoking ourselves to Christ, at least in this passage? Even though there are all those other benefits, what is the real goal here? He says, so that you will do what? What's the verb? So that you will learn. So that you will learn from me. So that we will learn from Jesus as we walk with him as his disciples. The real goal is to learn. What will you learn from me? Well, you see, you'll learn how to find rest for your souls, for your innermost being, even though your outer being is weary and tired. Why? Why will that happen? Because you will become like me. You will become, as I've described myself, you will become gentle and humble. And in this, Jesus is teaching his disciples to rely on him, not themselves, to rely on God, not themselves, to deal with life's challenges. He also is teaching them how to be gracious in their ministry, how to be gracious to others. He's also teaching them how to rid themselves of the improper load that they have been bearing, the load that they should never be required or expected to bear, and that is the load of selfish expectations that come out of hard work. The text here centers on three imperative verbs. Come to me, come. And then secondly, take, take on my yoke. And then finally, learn from me. Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. That's what he said to the disciples at the very beginning. The first command that he gave his disciples was he said, come, follow me. And then he said, I'll make you what? I'll make you fishers of men. And Jesus has told them in Matthew, the 10th chapter, before he sends them out, he says, if you're going to come follow me and you're going to go out and do ministry, it's going to be hard. The road is going to be difficult and there's going to be opposition there that is embedded in that call to come if we follow Jesus. And if we're serious about reaching the world for Christ, the number one goal at Gamble Street Baptist Church in our six goals is what? It's to reach the lost for Christ. And as we seek to reach the lost for Christ, if we're serious about it, friends, we're going to face opposition. We're going to face resistance because the evil one will put all kinds of barriers in our way. Come all ye who are weary and heavy laden. These are not adjectives. Weary sounds like an adjective. Heavy laden, burden sounds like an adjective. But they're actually verbs. They're verbs of action. Come to me, those of you who are being worn down in the grind of life. Come to me, those of you who are being overloaded. Weariness, the struggle and the toil, and the suffering that goes along with hard work. Folks, this is a human condition. <laughs> Go back to Genesis, the third chapter. What was the curse? There were three curses, the serpent, and then to Eve, and then to Adam. And to Adam, he said, what? You are going to toil. You are going to suffer as you eat of the produce of the land. You're going to work 
by the sweat of your brow. This is the human condition. Solomon in Ecclesiastes puts it this way. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Yes, work before in the garden with Adam was not a burden. It was not a toil. It was a joy. But it is a burden today. You see, the imagery that we get of being weary here is being ground down by the everyday problems of life, being worn out, heavy laden, like a pack mule with an overloaded burden in a crooked mountain pathway. Work can be heavy. Work can be hard. Work can be burdensome. And I will give you rest once again. Rest here is not a noun. It is an active verb. What he's saying is, I won't just give you a thing called rest. He said, I will rest you. I will refresh you. I will renew you. I will recharge your batteries. Hmm. Sounds like the good shepherd, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall what? I shall not want. For he, le- he makes me to lie down where? In green pastures. He, he leads me beside what? still waters, and he restores my soul. You see, this is what Jesus is saying. I am. And he doesn't say it here. He says it later in the Gospel of John. I'm the good shepherd. And I will give you rest, you see. Just after this, Jesus does that. And we've already mentioned it. Just after this, he then says, okay, come with me to a desolate place and let's get some rest. (laughs) And they don't get much rest, we know. Take my yoke upon, upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble and you will find rest for your souls. The yoke is a device, of course, that is put on beasts of burden, on draft animals. Average yoke weighs about 15 pounds. This word yoke also means balance in in the Greek. It's like scales where, where the load is balanced between two. Here's the irony. You're loaded down, you're worried, I want you to put on another load. I want you to put on another 15 pounds on top of you. But here's the key. By putting on that load, that yoke, you're yoked with me, and it will make your burden lighter. And learn from me. The verb there actually is the root word for disciple. What he's saying is, I want you to walk with me as disciples, and I want you to learn from me by experience, as they did with the rabbi. They would go to the school with the rabbi and not just listen to him teach, but they lived with him and they watched the rabbi and they emulated his life and they saw his experiences and they learned from his experiences. They were tutored by the rabbis and Jesus is the master rabbi. He's saying, come, learn from me as the disciple. Walk with me, live with me, experience life with me. So when life becomes weary and burdensome, friends, if we really call ourselves disciples of Christ, we need to walk with him. We need to experience what he teaches us and shows us how to bear our burden. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Gentle, you know, it means quiet strength. It's this this great strength that is encompassed in gentleness and meekness. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. Jesus himself came riding on a, not stallion, into Jerusalem, but on the back of a donkey. We know that. 
the great king to come rode in meekness into Jerusalem. The meaning there actually means to rely wholly on God, not on ourselves. Rely on him, not ourselves. Submit ourselves completely to God's will because he has our best interest at stake. He knows what is best for us. You see, this meekness is the opposite of self-interest. It is submitting to God. It's the opposite of selfish interest in working and self-promotion. It is trusting God. Trusting God to help lighten our load. Trusting God and His goodness to vindicate us even when others oppose us. For you see, I am meek, I am gentle, and I am humble. It literally means close to the ground. Lowly in spirit, the other way of looking at it is not elevated, not proud. Jesus' humility. You know, if you stop and think about it. When he stands before Herod, when he stands before Pilate, he could have just as easily struck them down with leprosy, like Miriam. Or he could have just as easily struck them with being mute so that they could not talk as Zacharias was in the temple. Or he could have caused them to have a heart attack, very much like Ananias in the book of Acts. He could have gone on the offense. He could have eloquently disposed of them. He could have marshaled his disciples and taken over, but he didn't. You see, he was humble. He went quietly like a lamb to the slaughter to pay for our sins. You see, the Scripture predicted that. Hmm. In the Magnificent, that was spoken by Mary in Luke, the first chapter, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and He has exalted the humble. In James and in Peter, it reminds us that God resists the what? He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. This is the humility of Christ that we should learn. We should learn to be gentle and turn everything over to the Lord and submit to Him. And we should also be humble in the way that we quietly then let Him take care of us. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word easy has a couple of meanings. It can mean manageable and it can also mean kind. Manageable, what he's saying here is, you see, my yoke fits. It's exactly the right thing that you need. Hmm. I'll help you manage your burdens. Now, now what's important about that is Jesus does not say that I will remove the work, that I will remove the burdens, that I will remove the tribulation. What he's saying is I will make it manageable. The other meaning for this word is kind, to be gracious and to good. Jesus helps us deal with our problems with grace and kindness. After all, the Bible tells us that God is kind, even to the unthankful and the evil in Luke's gospel in the sixth chapter. And therefore, Jesus then commands us to love our enemies. We have tasted that the Lord is kind, that He is good, that He is gracious. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you see, my yoke, when you put it on me, I will teach you how to be gracious and kind in all of your dealings in life. And you see, the burden is light, not weighed down. We can be agile. We can be quick. You see, our affliction that we have today, Paul tells us, is momentary. The afflictions that we go through, the tribulation that we face, the opposition that confronts us, 
those things are light and they're temporary, but what they do is they will later bring about a weightier kind of eternal glory for us. There's a reason that we face opposition and resistance. It strengthens us and it purifies us and it makes our witness stronger. You think about Jesus. Jesus was not burdened. Jesus was not burdened with the worldly expectations of success and all that that meant. He was not burdened with having to prove himself by worldly means for personal glory and self-promotion. In fact, he did just the opposite. What did he do? He who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was equal with God. He was the Son of God. Did what? He did not elevate himself. He did not, in a prideful sort of way, raise himself up. He did what? He came down. He came down to earth and he poured himself out and he became a man. He took on the form of a man and he became humble and obedient to his father, even to death on the cross. So how do we apply these things? How do we apply these things? Two observations. One, I think there are three kinds of burdens that we bear. There are more than that, but I want to talk about three briefly. The first of those is the burden of honest and hard work. There's no substitute for it. We, we still toil as Adam did. We still toil as we eat from the ground. But Jesus can lighten that load. He can give us, he can give you in the workday life, wherever you are, a sense of joy and purpose in what you do. If your work is something that pleases him, if your work is something that glorifies God, wherever you are, and if it fits your gifts and your personalities, it can be a joy. Even though it is hard work, it does not have to be something through which you suffer. Some work is just distasteful. And some of you may have some distasteful jobs. I've had distasteful jobs in the past. And if you don't today, maybe you have and you know what I'm talking about. But in those distasteful and hardworking jobs sometimes, and we ask, what is God doing here, he's preparing you for even greater service later. He says, come to me, and he will give us rest from that hard work. There, there, there needs to be a time when you have rest with the Lord, to go to a quiet place, and he helps then relieve the burden of your hard work. That's good, hard, honest work. There's a second kind of burden, and that is the burdens and the challenges and the tribulations of everyday life about which Ken prayed. The challenges to our Christian life and the challenges to our ministry when we face opposition and lack of appreciation and sometimes we feel like we're failing. The cost of discipleship is hard, Jesus said. And he's not a bait and switch person. He doesn't say, come to me and I'll give you rest. And then he turns around and then says, oh, but this is going to be hard. Those things work together. You see, we come to him so that he can ease the burden, but he reminds us it's still going to be difficult. You see, the disciples were both successful and they were rejected. And I think maybe in their success, they had become a little bit self-important. And in their opposition, they became dejected. You see, sometimes with these challenges in everyday life, as we, as we work hard, we become overcome with a selfish desire for self-promotion and recognition. There is an irony in the fallen state of man. Man fell, Adam fell, and we live as fallen people, 
and we live our lives in a worldly sense, constantly trying to elevate ourselves again, constantly trying to make ourselves feel important and that we have a purpose in life, seeking validation and a sense of purpose, maybe even fame and approval and futility, comparing ourselves with other people, beating our heads against the wall to get ahead. There's always somebody else who can do it better than we can. This happens even in church sometimes. Uh-oh. But it does. It does. You know, sometimes in church we try to be all things, and we try to do all things, and we don't stay in our lanes. God gives each one of us certain things that He calls us to do in ministry in the body of Christ. We should not try to please God by overworking and doing things that He has not called us to do. My, one of my responsibilities as pastor, and I, and I know you, you think that one of my responsibilities is I need to go find people that will do certain things and plug them into ministry and encourage them to work in those ministries, and, and, and I do that. But another part of my responsibility is to tell some people, you know what? You don't need to work real hard at that because that's not your job. Somebody else can do that. You see, we are, we are yoked not only to Christ, but we're yoked through Christ to one another, and it's a team. So in church, sometimes, and maybe you've seen this, there have been people in the kingdom who get their identity and their sense of purpose in the hard work that they do for the kingdom and the acclamation that they get from that. And Jesus never did that. The remedy is to stop striving. Stop striving. Relax. The psalmist in Psalm 46 says this, Stop striving and know that I am God. For you see, I will be exalted. Not you. I will be exalted. Not you. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the all, all the earth. You see, in this we need to practice grace and humility as we learn from Jesus. And to be kind to one another. And to encourage one another. And to support one another in our ministries. And to forgive one another. We're going to have the Lord's Supper in a few moments. We need to be reconciled and we need to be forgiving and forgiven before we come to the table because God first forgave us. There's another observation, and, and that is not just the kinds of burdens that we have, but that is the power of the yoke, bearing one another's burdens. You know, the law of Christ in Galatians 6, 9 says, Bear ye one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Herein is the power of the yoke. He calls us to be yoked to him, and, and that's true. Each one of us needs to be yoked to Christ. But stop and think about it. If each one of us is yoked to Christ, then we're yoked to one another. We're yoked in an interconnected nexus, you see. And his power is multiplied many times over. This is one of the things that he means when he says, you're going to do greater things than even I have done. The body of Christ can do that because through the power of Christ as we're connected with one another and yoked together and encouraging one another, you see, we can accomplish mighty and powerful things. It is that way in this church. Each one of you, God has called to some kind 
of responsibility, some kind of ministry. And it may be in a position here in Gamble Street Baptist Church. It may be a ministry without a position. It may be an extension of the church as you go into the community, but God has given you a ministry. I'm very fortunate. We have a wonderful staff here. I wasn't feeling too well last night. And I just didn't feel like I maybe had the stamina to do the pastoral prayer and the sermon and the Lord's Supper. So you know what I did. I picked up the phone and I called Ken. I said, would you do the pastoral prayer tomorrow? That, that, that's why my name's in the, in the bulletin, but he prayed. You see, we're, we're a team. We support one another. We're yoked together through Christ. And so together you then yoke to Christ and I am yoked to Christ, then we go forth as a great team to accomplish great things. You know, Baptist Chaplaincy Relations, I've asked you to pray about uh, the search for the new director. Bobby Smith passed away in November. They're searching for a new director. One of the people that works with BCR is a fellow by the name of Todd Comby, and he oversees the pastoral ministry for all of the chaplains that are endorsed by the Baptist Chaplaincy Relations through Texas and Virginia. So we've got chaplains all over the country who act as pastors to other chaplains, and Todd helps to coordinate that. And one of them is right here in this congregation. Lyndall Anderson. You see, he is yoked together with Todd and others and chaplains all across this country that encourage and give pastoral support to other chaplains who are doing ministry with thousands of people. You see, therein is the power of the yoke. The power of the yoke is if you are connected with Christ and if you are connected with Christ and you are connected with Christ, and pardon me for pointing, <laughs> we are all yoked together. And he multiplies our ministry in bountiful ways so that we can do mighty and powerful things. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Do you sometimes feel like you're weary and heavy laden? And I will do what? I will give you rest. But not only that, if you yoke yourself to me, you will learn from me. You will learn that gentleness and that humility and that graciousness to know how to work together and to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us, given us this ministry in earthen vessels. Sometimes we grow weary, sometimes we grow tired in well-doing, but your scripture commands us not to do so. But the great promise is you have given us a solution. Not to grow weary in well-doing means that if we're yoked to Christ, there are others who come along our, uh, alongside us and help us and encourage us even when we face great opposition and difficulties in life, even when we face tribulations in life. And we give thanks for that. Our prayer is this morning, if there is one who has not become yoked to Christ, one who has not surrendered their life, one who is still living a life of self-assertion and self-promotion, striving in everyday life to be a success and to earn some kind of fame in this world by comparing themselves with others, that they will give that over. They will give that burden over, and they might then surrender their life to Jesus Christ as Savior and walk in simple gentleness and humility as He teaches them how then 
to be a disciple. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.